Welcome to the Fighting for Joy podcast. I'm your host, Jody Blick. Well, recording these podcast episodes has really given me so many special opportunities to connect with different people. And then I get to introduce them to all of you. I've been able to have conversations with new friends. I've introduced you to some of my very best long distance friends and local friends. I've had family members on, mentors on, and fellow grievers on. Just a lot of really special people. And today is no exception. My guest today is Kathy Casper. She's a college friend who I met over 30 years ago, but I've only recently reconnected with her. We initially reconnected on Facebook, and we've messaged each other a few times over the years, but as we prepared for this episode, I had the opportunity to hear parts of her story that I had no idea she'd had to endure and walk through. And isn't that the way that it happens so often? We just have no idea what people are actually dealing with behind closed doors. But when Kathy shared her story with me, I just knew that there would be so many takeaways for you, especially if you too are in a place where your life looks nothing like you thought it would. Now, obviously, there is no way for any of us to truly know what our life will look like. And even with the best of planning and intention, life can just take weird and unexpected and hard twists and turns. But for Kathy and for me, and I know for so many of you listeners, life has just taken a heartbreaking and devastating turn. And it's just sad and hard to come to grips with the fact that this is actually the story God has for us, that this is the path that we have to walk. I think it's very normal and very okay to hate it and to wish it looked different. And also, at the same time, work to embrace it, live in the truth of it, and then discover ways to turn our pain into purpose, first and foremost, as we submit to God's greater purposes and plans, but also as a way to fight for joy and then help others fight for joy as we share and open up about all of the mess and grief, and then the subsequent growth and beauty for the ashes. As Kathy and I prepared for this episode, this idea, the concept of beauty for ashes, came up a number of times. So before I introduce you to Kathy, I wanted to just touch on this idea quickly as we reference it a number of times throughout our conversation. I know it'll be a reminder for some of you and yet a totally new concept for others, but beauty for ashes is a reference to Isaiah 61 3 and the idea that God can turn our mourning into dancing, that he comforts and helps those in grief and miraculously can exchange ashes for something truly beautiful. In biblical times, it was customary for people to sit in ashes when they were grieving, to literally wrap themselves up in ashes as a way to represent the absolute devastation they were feeling and experiencing. The ashes symbolized death and destruction and loss. But this verse in Isaiah brings a new hope to the people then and to us now, reminding us of the restoring and redeeming work of the Lord that he is able to turn the most horrible situations into something good and not necessarily good in the way that we often think of good in American terms, which is comfort, wealth, health, you know, a happy ending where everything works out, but good in regards to our sanctification and preparation for eternity with Christ and good in regards to the testimony we can bring of God's faithfulness and care and love in the midst of the ashes, right in the devastation. The beauty that comes from not losing our faith and our trust in God, even when we lose everything else. And yet, even knowing this is how God works, even knowing the end of the story, we can tend to forget. 
and we become overwhelmed with our circumstances and our pain and our grief. And as Kathy said to me at one point, it can be tempting to just see the ashes. It takes courage and time and intentionality and gratitude to eventually find some beauty. So towards the end of my episode here with Kathy, we do get to some of the beautiful things that have resulted from Kathy's brokenness, but you'll hear that I didn't want to jump there too quickly because I truly believe that a dark backdrop can bring the beauty of a diamond forth more brilliantly. I'm thankful for Kathy's willingness to share about her fight for joy in her extremely difficult marriage and then through her divorce and the devastating aftermath. As you listen, I want you to be encouraged by Kathy's hope and yes, her joy, even in the midst of horrible circumstances. She's got a tough story and still has hard things to deal with, but I know you'll be encouraged and helped and inspired to fight for joy in the middle of your own hard stuff. Thanks for listening today. Here is my conversation with an old college friend. Well, hi, Kathy. I have been really looking forward to this conversation with you today. Hi, it's so great to hear your voice. I've been really looking forward to this as well. Yeah, so you and I met about 30 years ago, girl. <laughs> I know. Oh my a gosh, long I know. time ago as college students at Wheaton College and We've been talking on Voxer, trying to figure out how we actually met and got connected. And I think we decided it was either through a mutual friend or through some classes we took together, right? Yes, that is correct. And it was freshman year. Like we met really early on in our college experience. Yeah, yeah, we did. And, you know, you were just always somebody that I enjoyed running into. I just love seeing you on campus. And I remember, you know, like I've told you, not only your just stunning outer beauty, Kathy, but your sweet, kind spirit and just the friendly smile that you had and your beautiful presence. And, you know, we never really developed a a super deep friendship at college, but you definitely impacted me. And so I'm glad that we have been able to stay somewhat connected on Facebook. And I'm really glad that we can do this episode together. So thank you for your willingness to share some parts of your story with me today. Well, thank you for those kind words. I feel the same about you and I'm thrilled to be here. I really am. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, let's start by giving just a little introduction to my listeners. What do you want them to know about you and what your life looks like today? Yeah. So um, I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Just a little bit about me. I was, I was born here. I've lived in many other places. Um, but I am here. I have one child. He is 18 and a senior in high school. So we're at that place in life where we're kind of working to figure out what's next with him. I am divorced. And so he spends half of his time with his dad and half of his time with me. During the day, I have a corporate job in HR for a global company. I'm blessed. I, I love what I do. I have a fantastic boss. I also have an ICF coaching certification uh, for anyone who knows anything about coaching. I do executive level coaching, but I actually use that mostly in the other stuff that I do, which is working with people who are either kind of in the middle of divorce Mm -hmm. or who are newly divorced. That's really my passion. Um, And then, you know, there are a whole host of other things I enjoy doing kind of outside of those things, but it's just a little bit about me. Yeah. Great. Well, I love your desire to want to help and encourage others by sharing some of the things you've learned as you have fought for joy through some devastating things. And I love your 
heart and your passion for other divorced people. And so let's dive in and kind of learn a little bit about what got you to the place of wanting to be an encouragement for others um, in their journey. Um, So let's start talking through your story a little bit. And I'm just, I'm wondering where you would like to start, Kathy. Oh, goodness. There, there's a lot to my story. So I'm going to start at the beginning and I'm going to talk probably a little quickly, but also I'm going to give the high notes. Yeah, this, yeah. These are just the high notes. These are not like, this is obviously not everything in its entirety, but enough for everyone to really get a good feel for, Great. um, yeah, the, the whole situation. So I was raised by uh, Christian parents. They are both still alive, still married. They took us to church on Sundays, talked about God openly in the home, prayed before meals. They Christian schooled us all the way through Wheaton. I have an older sister, a younger brother. We all graduated from Wheaton. Mm -hmm. Um, We did Bible camps, all kinds of things. Um, And so that's how I was raised. Mm -hmm. Because of some early childhood, I would say trauma and some things that happened, I was very insecure as a young woman. And we moved overseas when I was a freshman in high school. So I went to school in England for three years of high school. We came back when I was a senior. Mm -hmm. And I just want everyone to pause for a moment and visualize. I am 5'8", and I was about time to. I have very coarse, thick, curly hair. (laughs) 30 plus years ago, there were not curly hair products. There were not curly hair specialists. So my hair, I mean, my, my mom has very fine straight hair. Mm-hmm. So of course I would go get my haircut where she went and they did not know what to do with my hair. So I had this like very curly, crazy hair and not cut into a great style. <laughs> I had horrible cystic acne and a full face of metal braces. <laughs> it was not a good look. <laughs> and so This is me at 17, having lived overseas for three years in culture shock, no clothes to wear because I wore uniforms for three years. Um, And it was in that place that I met the man that I would ultimately marry. And he was the first guy who had ever shown an interest in me. He would, you know, my mind, he was very good looking Mm -hmm. and I was crazy about him. And so we started dating and we dated We would date while I was in town. And then when I would go away to college, we would break up because he stayed in Cincinnati and it was, you know, not the most functional of relationships doing that. Mm -hmm. But we would date, break up, date, break up. We ultimately broke up for what I thought was the final time, kind of toward the end of undergrad. We reconnected through a series of events when I finished grad school. And very quickly, we were both like, this is it. We're getting married. And I will tell you, like when I walked down the aisle, I had zero doubts Mm -hmm. about marrying this man. I was wildly in love with him. I couldn't wait to start a life with him. I was super excited. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we are now married. We're actually later in our 20s by the time we got married. And um, it was challenging from the start. So I shared a little bit about how I was raised. He was raised in a vastly different home. His parents were divorced when he was very young. His father was somewhat abusive. He didn't have as much contact with his dad. Um, He was raised Catholic and very stereotypically Italian family, whereas mine's very stereotypically German. So very, just very (laughs) different dynamics in the households. Mm -hmm. 
And so we brought that with us into the marriage along with, you know, our own baggage about things. And we didn't have great, we just didn't have great tools for communication, for working through conflict or anything. And because we approached life so differently based on how we were raised, it was just, it was hard. Mm -hmm. It was just hard. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, this is marriage. You just work through it. Like I know it never entered my mind as anything other than, you you know, okay, it's marriage. You just work through it. Yeah. So he decides to go to law school and get an MBA. He had to quit his job to do that. So I'm supporting us full time. Law school is very challenging. He gets through that, can't get a job. I am now in my 30s. We wanted to have children. I start trying to get pregnant, can't get pregnant. So we go through infertility treatments. Mm-hmm. I end up getting pregnant. I then was in a very high risk pregnancy and was also very sick. Mm-hmm. So I'm working 80 hours a week, commuting almost two hours a day, throwing up around the clock, threw up all the way through delivery. Um, And so my whole pregnancy was like that. So I've now gone through, you know, what I consider essentially to be 10 months of being very sick Mm -hmm. and just a very high demand on my body. Mm -hmm. And so I have my child and I, of course, am wildly in love with him and also like trying to recover physically Mm -hmm. and have to go back to work at six weeks. Hmm. And so I'm back at work. And at this point, my ex-husband and now ex-husband is starting a law practice and I start noticing like he was all, we were already having challenges in our marriage, but he is by far even more shut down and he's Mm. drinking more heavily and he'd always been a drinker, but drinking much more heavily and Mm -hmm. nothing I did to try to reach him would reach him. And I couldn't understand what was going on. What I realized now is his father wound was really coming to the surface now that he was a father Mm. Wow. And so that's all going on. And it's like, it has gone from our marriage is hard to our marriage is um, like suffocatingly difficult. And Mm -hmm. I would take my son to bed at night and put him in bed. And then I had a twin, there was another twin bed in his room. And I would just lay down on that bed and just sob every single night. And I would just cry out to God and just beg God, save my marriage, whatever it takes, do whatever it takes Mm -hmm. to save my marriage and to bring my husband to you. Because I knew that's what had to happen in order to save the marriage. Mm -hmm. We had just gone in vastly different directions spiritually. We had never been able to agree on a church. Now that I was a mom, I wanted my son in church and it was creating great friction. Mm -hmm. And so I'm praying that prayer. And um, again, he's drinking so heavily, he's passing out drunk in bed every night. So I would be in my son's room just praying and he's in our room drunk and passed out. Yeah. And, um, and let's just gonna... pause, let's just pause here for a second, yeah. because I think it's important to just sit for a minute in the pain of what you're, what you're sharing, you know, just what it must've felt like to be entrenched in such a difficult marriage and you know to use the language of Isaiah 61 3 to just be sitting in the ashes I mean that's how I picture you at in that bed in your son's room just in the ashes and you know no one gets married like you said you certainly didn't thinking this is where you will eventually find yourself and it had to feel just absolutely crushing to find yourself in this place in your marriage in your life um, as a woman. And um, I'm just so sorry, friend. And I just I hear your love for your husband, your desire to stay in your marriage, 
the way you were begging God to to make it work and yet your life and your relationship with your husband was was just broken. Um, so looking back just on this this time, um, what do you think tended to rob you of joy the most during that? Was it the, you know, just the um, the stuff that your husband was doing? Was it more of your exhaustion and lack of sleep and sickness and infertility and loneliness in that? Or what were what were a couple of the hardest things for you um, mm. during that that particular time? That's a great question. I think there are a couple of things. I think probably the biggest thing was the lack of spiritual alignment Mm, because that was so my walk with the Lord. Like I, like I said, I was raised in a Christian home, but when things started getting so hard in my marriage, that's when I really started really developing my personal relationship with the Lord Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I couldn't share it with him. Like when I would talk about God, he would literally call me crazy. Mm, And so the thing that I was most like, that was most, precious to me outside of my child, mm-hmm. I couldn't even share with my husband. It would like, it would create such an, a huge fight. Um, so that was one thing. And then I think additionally, it was just kind of tied to that. I was just feeling so alone. Like yeah, I just yeah. felt so alone. I mean, there's the loneliness of being single. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of loneliness when you are married and alone in your marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, Oh, that's just so hard. Yeah, devastating. Yeah. And part of what was also devastating for you at that time was the discovery of your husband's infidelity. I had asked you ahead of time if you'd be willing to talk about that part today, too. And I'm thankful that you said yes, because although, you know, unfaithfulness in marriage can actually be pretty common, it's just not talked about. I mean, I think, you know, then people not only have to deal with the betrayal and the horror of finding something like this out, but then they have to usually walk through it alone, you know, kind of trying mm-hmm. to, I don't know, protect their spouse at the cost of the help and support that they need. So what what would you be willing to share about this part of your story in marriage? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so yes, I did discover ultimately that while I was laying in my son's room, sobbing and saying, God, whatever it takes, Um, my husband was drinking even more heavily than I knew he was. He was drinking all day at work and he was also having an affair. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I found that out, it was, you know, we, I talk about this a lot. Our culture treats infidelity so casually, you watch TV shows, you watch movies, and it's just like, it's just so common and mm-hmm. it's so, you know, it's almost expected anymore, mm-hmm. it seems. And glamorized, and, glamorized. You know, when, yeah. Yeah. When you watch it on TV or on a movie, it's almost like it's a joke. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that happened. Moving on. Mm-hmm. In reality, when it happens, it is one of the deepest wounds you can experience. It's certainly one of the deepest wounds in a marriage. I mean, there's infidelity, there's divorce. Mm-hmm. And it is such a level of betrayal of trust yeah. that it's, I mean, they're, they're truly, and I say this to this day, they're truly are, I don't have the words to explain what that does to somebody and what it does to their heart. Mm-hmm. I just don't. And I love words, but I just don't have them. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. They're, yeah. So that was horrendous to discover. And mm-hmm. it was quite a story leading up to that discovery um, I did ultimately decide to try to work through it with him mm-hmm. and, and we did work through it for a number of years, but mm-hmm. then things went south again. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, and unfortunately when they went south uh, again, we weren't able to, to work through them. So yeah. I did end up getting divorced. Yeah. And, and so then there's new, you know, new things to process and work through in that because, you know, what you had been fighting so hard to try to keep and work through um, and fix, you know, and ask the Lord to save, um, it did end up eventually in divorce. And I remember you sharing with me that facing each new morning was, was just a challenge, like you weren't even sure how you were going to make it through and that you would make your coffee and then just cry out to God and say, how am I supposed to get through this day? And then the next morning, you would do it again. And then the next morning again, and just, you know, Mm -hmm. dependent on and crying out to God, but also just literally trying to make it through one day at a time. So walk us through a little bit of, of this part of your story. You're going through a divorce. What kind of new things now began to steal your, your hope and your joy and your peace? Well, it, you know, going through divorce is one thing. Going through divorce with an attorney mm-hmm. is quite another. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and so, Unfortunately, um, for a variety of reasons, I had to live with him while he, he, it was his choice. He pursued the divorce. It was not my choice. Wow. And there were a lot of things that happened during that time, um, of being, you know, having to live with him, going through that destruction that were terrifying. Mm-hmm. And, um, so things that were stealing my joy during that period. I, and I think anybody who's gone through this will say the same thing. It's fear. It's like mm-hmm. a paralyzing fear because you just don't know. You don't know when is this going to end? You don't know where is this going to end? You don't know what it's going to look like for your children. Mm-hmm. You don't know what it's going to look like for you. You don't know what the financial impact is going to be. Right. In my case, I had nowhere to live. I was losing my job. I like literally I lost, I had 360 degrees of devastating loss mm-hmm. and it's, it's terrifying because mm-hmm. you just are left going, I don't have any idea what this is going to look like. Like I literally don't know. And is it truly is like day by day, like new things are happening and I'm, and I'm having to try to hold down a job and be a mom at the mm-hmm. same time and, and be present to my child who's also traumatized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Losing everything. Like you said, yeah. And the fear of just an uncertain future um, while you're still trying to process and deal with, you know, the grief of, um, of, of the loss of your marriage and, um, and everything. Um, you know, I've heard people say before that I've talked to about their divorce that it's, you know, it is a grief. It is a source of grief. Um, there are similarities between your story and mine. Um, as I've heard you, um, share and, and tell me a little bit about what you've had to walk through. So if you could just touch a little bit on that, you know, just what, what has your grief journey looked like? There is so much loss. Mm-hmm. There is so much loss. Um, and so I would say, I mean, I was grieving going through the divorce process because I mean, it was happening in front of my eyes and obviously there was nothing I could do to stop it. But once I was actually divorced and was out of the house and now I'm living in a new place, it's not, I ended up in a condo because I couldn't afford anything else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I only have 50% of my time with my son because he's with his dad, the other 50% of the time. So that, that for me was the biggest loss. Like Mm -hmm. I I only have one child and now I'm losing 50% of the time I would have with him, Mm -hmm. which is so devastating. I mean, there's really, again, no words to explain that. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so much and Mm -hmm. it's not just the grief of those very tangible things you're losing in that moment. It's the grief of all the future dreams that you had and all of the things that you thought your life was going to hold and look like. And all of the unknowns, you're looking at it going, okay, God, you say beauty for ashes, but all I see is ash. Mm -hmm. That's all I see. Mm -hmm. How can you possibly create beauty for me? Or honestly, for me, I I was like, do what you want to me, but my child, like that's what I care about the most. And how are you possibly going to create beauty for him out of this? Right, right. That's our mama's hearts. And I mean, even I remember after Jackson died, my some of my very first thoughts were my kids and just begging the Lord to not um, ruin them um, in the yeah. midst of this. So yeah, I understand your heart for for your child, of course. Um, I'm wondering if you had experienced any sort of, you know, these these couple years after the divorce, you're trying to rebuild your life, you're you know, kind of coming out of maybe some of your lowest places, no home, no marriage, no money, no support system. Um, how, how did, what did you need from the church, I guess? And did the church provide that for you? What did you need, you know, from other Christians? I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about how we as Christians can love divorced people better. We all, you know, know divorced people. They are a part of our church body, but are we loving them well? Are we adding to their grief by having some sort of a stigma there about being a divorcee? I mean, how have you um, experienced being somebody who is divorced in the Christian community? And I think that's a great question, because I think that is a place where so much additional damage gets done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because I was raised in the church, and I had such a strong foundation, I was able to kind of navigate that and just be like, this is awful, but I still love God. Mm -hmm. Um, I have many friends who are like, they were so turned off by the way they were treated that they won't ever set foot inside a church again, according to them. And that's Mm -hmm. tragic. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, my experience very much was, you know, and again, we were going through this infidelity and all of that in our 30s. We got divorced in our 40s. um, And we were we were in leadership in the church in a large church. And they the leaders just didn't know they just didn't know what to do. They literally didn't know what to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. my now ex just kind of walked away from God. And so he wasn't trying to go to church. I was trying to still go to church with my son. Mm -hmm. And like, literally they would see me walk in and they would turn to each other and start like almost whispering. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there was just a lot with that. So I ended up, I left that church and started going to another church and the other church, there was kindness there, but there are also things like I wanted to serve on a care team but the meetings were on weekends when I had my son with mm-hmm. me. And at, my, mm-hmm. at the time, my son was like 11. Mm-hmm. And the home where they were having the meeting, they were like, you know, child care will not be provided. And I was like, hey, my son, I don't want to leave my home alone. Mm-hmm. He has his electronics. Can he just sit on your sofa and play his switch while mm-hmm. we meet? Mm-hmm. Hey, I promise he's like an introvert. He's going to be quiet. And, and they were just like, no, sorry, we aren't allowing anyone else to do that. We can't allow you to. Yeah. Yeah. So. On the one hand, I would get it, but on the other hand, I'd be like, that's yeah. so not inclusive right, of right. people in my condition. I, if you were three, I would get it because, of mm-hmm. course, a three-year-old, that would be 
disruptive, but <clears throat> yeah. And they knew him. I'm like, you know, you know, my child, yeah. he's a very good child. I mean, he's not going to be into stuff, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, sadly, I think that that, that exa- an example like that is, is common. I think we, as a church, a lot of times aren't thinking through all of the different scenarios that could potentially be there for people. And I think the church just um, could be missing some really special opportunities to point people, um, you know, to to the church body as a place, a safe place for healing. And, and even just to the, you know, back to the infidelity piece, you know, when somebody is walking through a betrayal like that, you know, the church has a powerful opportunity to point people to the marital faithfulness of Christ, right? That he will never betray us and leave us and he will never be unfaithful to us and that he really is the only guaranteed relationship in this broken world that we have. And so, you know, I just, um, I'm sad for friends like you mentioned. Um, I know some too who have walked away from the church, even maybe really struggling in their faith too, because they haven't been loved well um, by the church, by the Christian community, there's just a weird kind of shame that can come along. Um, I think, you know, if you're a widow, people quickly, you know, surround you, love on you, hurt with you. Um, I think that there's just other, um, like a stigma that comes with being divorced of what went wrong, who was at fault, kind of going to the negative aspect of it. And to the, to the point where maybe we aren't loving, um, somebody who's divorced well and thinking of a way that they could feel included and a part of things. Absolutely agree with you. Completely. Yeah. What are some good things to say or not say, or, you know, even to practically do, you gave the example of maybe trying to be more inclusive with childcare and stuff for single parents. Um, but what are just some things that were helpful that people said to you when you were going through divorce, when they find out your divorce, uh, you're divorced, um, you know, what are some things that are helpful to hear or not, or not helpful? You know, that's a great question. I I would say more than like to say or not say for me, it's more about actions. Mm -hmm. So the things that have consistently been really helpful and part of this has required me to do certain things too, Mm -hmm. but friends, um, randomly just sending me a text. Hey, I just want you to know, I love you. You are loved. Mm -hmm. Because when you're single, you don't hear that. You don't hear anybody telling you they love you. Yeah. Um, when it's a holiday and it's a, it's a holiday that works for them, inviting you to their, to a holiday event. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be Christmas or a big family event because those are obviously reserved for families, but you know, whatever, just being invited on occasion. And sometimes I can go and sometimes I can't, but just knowing I have a place to go if it works out. If I want to go, I don't have to spend every single holiday alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, another thing that some of my friends do, and this, you know, this requires not a lot of money, but it does require a little money. I don't get Christmas presents or birthday presents. I'm single. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. on Christmas or a birthday, some of my friends will be like, hey, let's go get coffee and I'll Mm -hmm. treat you to coffee. And Mm -hmm. they might bring me like a little like I have a great friend who will bring me a Kendra Scott pair of earrings or, you know, I love it. Yeah. Which is so nice. Like, so I nice. don't expect those things, but it's so nice to have somebody recognize yeah. that were it not for that, mm-hmm. it would be another birthday without a birthday gift. Mm, yeah. Just the practical things that, yeah, it's putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and, and, and recognizing those small details that are huge to you. Just a quick reminder that one of my Fighting for Joy podcast sponsors is Faithful Counseling. 
As I continue to reflect on my own grief journey, I just can't help but reflect on how helpful solid Christian counseling has been for me. It's seriously been one of the greatest helps in my fight for joy and in figuring out how to just keep plowing through the depths of grief and strive to still fully live and embrace the life that I have. So if you are in grief yourself, there's just not a better time to seek counseling. Maybe you're not dealing with the death of a loved one, but you're struggling with the death of a dream or of your marriage or of life like you thought it would look like. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety or depression, or you can't even put a finger on what you're feeling, but you're just stuck. Or maybe life overall is pretty good, but you just need some help processing and understanding something like relationship issues or extended family issues. It could even be that you would just benefit from some coaching and guidance regarding your career or in an area like parenting. No matter what you are wrestling through, the counselors at Faithful Counseling can help you. They offer an online counseling format that makes getting everything lined up super easy and convenient. You could even get paired with a therapist and have your first session within a few days. And don't forget, you always have the opportunity to switch counselors at any time to make sure that you have the perfect fit for you and your individual needs. Because they are a sponsor for my show, I'm able to offer you a code for a little discount on their services. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash fighting for joy. Be sure to add the slash fighting for joy at the end for your discount to take effect. I've said it many times before, and I will continue to say it. Quality counseling is a worthy investment in your fight for joy. Well, let's get to kind of where you're at today. So you've been divorced now for nine years. You've been working your butt off trying to rebuild and heal and move forward into a life, granted, that doesn't look at all like you thought it would look like. Um, I would love for you to touch quickly on the topic of forgiveness, because as you and I have gotten reconnected, I've just been struck by your tenderness of heart and and even hearing gratitude over and over as you've shared parts of your story, your your peace and your kindness. And I know we'll talk about it in a few minutes, but even your work now to help and encourage others, even as you continue to struggle. But my question to you is how how have you fought bitterness? I mean, I'm sure you've had all the anger, which is very understandable. Um, I'm assuming you haven't gotten any satisfactory apologies and efforts to try to make amends and make things right. So, so what have you learned about forgiveness? How have you fought bitterness? And how in the world are you trying to let your heart trust again? Yeah, all great questions. Um, you know, forgiveness seems like it's such a simple concept, mm-hmm, <laughs> but it, mm-hmm. it is so hard in practice. And I think it is one thing when something has happened in your past and that thing is done and those people are no longer in your life. It is, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying, you know, it's Mm -hmm. one thing to have to reflect back on that and to work through the steps of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It is quite another thing when you are still involved in someone's life who still is Mm -hmm. very much creating Mm -hmm. situations um, that you would never ever want for your child. And you have to actively on a daily basis, be faced with it, Mm -hmm. deal with the repercussions, watch the outcomes and then go, and I am still going to choose to forgive, Mm -hmm. even though you are impacting the person I love most on this earth. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very, very hard to do, but I also recognize that if I don't do that, it's only going to hurt me Mm -hmm. and it's only going to hurt my child. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying I'm perfect at it and I am not saying I do it instantly, but I do know 
I need to process the anger and I need to process, you know, all, all the feelings I have. This is not mm-hmm. just, it's not fair. It's not right. I don't understand it. And God, I may never understand this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I do know I have to forgive. And, and justice is yours, whether I ever see what that looks like or not, it is yours. And I just have to trust that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very helpful. And I imagine kind of tied into all of this too is just the struggle to to know where your identity lies in in all of this. I mean, you you keep your title as mother, but pretty much everything else, you know, just dissipated. So, what did your work look like around trying to find where your true identity lied, lies, you know, where without letting it be totally defining of you, um you know, walking through life now as a divorced woman, um, who's having to find what really identifies you now, just is there any practical, any practical suggestions or things that have helped you here for my listeners who might be struggling with the same thing, something they wrap their identity up in is now gone. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest things because when you go through divorce as a woman, um, oftentimes we have the last name, of our now ex-husband. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now you're like, I don't really feel like that last name is mine. And if you've had to move, you no longer have the same address. And in my case, I was losing my job. So I was losing that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, every single thing I would look to externally for identity was gone. Mm-hmm. And we know as Christians, our identity is not in those things. It should be in God alone. Um, but, I really struggled even knowing that I really struggled with literally that, you know, that song, who are you? Mm-hmm. Like that song will just go through my head. Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. who am I actually? Yeah. I'm really struggling to figure this out. And yeah. it, it was such a struggle for me, even though there are resources out there, I actually ended up writing a six week. I don't know that I would call it a devotional. It's kind of like a little devotional, a little like workbook kind of thing Mm. to walk you through the steps of how do you get to that place of identity when you feel like you've lost who you are and you just literally are looking in the mirror going, God, I know who you say I am in the Bible, but I don't feel connected to it. And how do I do that? Wow. I love that. Do you have that available for people? I do. It's um, it's an interesting format right now. It's in a Word document, okay. and so I need to kind of I'm working on what I'm going to do with that. Yeah, um, that's awesome. But yeah, that just came out of like I just wasn't getting what I needed, and I just because of what I was working through, it was like mm-hmm. somebody's going to need this someday. I'm going to put pen to paper. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can connect about that if you want me to put any further information about that in my notes or people can connect with you. But um, that sounds amazing. And yeah, sometimes the work that we're doing ourselves, and, you know, we we figure out a way to share it with others in hopes of sharing the the peace and the hope and the joy that we've found from from some of these, um, these things that are just <laughs> important. It's important work, it's hard work. Um, but it's clear that, you know, and I know my listeners are are hearing it too, that God has done some just powerful work in your life, my friend. And so as we kind of near uh, the end of our time together, I would love to hear some reflections just about the beauty that you are starting to be able to see for the ashes. Like you said, there, there have been times where you just saw the ashes. And in many ways, you're still in the middle of your story. I mean, you're still rebuilding. You've still got hopes and prayers and dreams for what you want your future to look like and your life to eventually look like but 
recognizing and proclaiming the beauty that we can still find in these middle places is a powerful, powerful way to fight for joy. So what are you seeing and experiencing right now? Like where and how are you finding hope and beauty and joy today? Yeah, so I say this so often to people I work with and and what I say is it's a choice. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. Mm-hmm. We, you know, it. I know in my past I have heard beauty for ashes and I've just thought, Oh, that, that beauty is just going to be very self-evident. And, you know, I'm just going to like walk into this rose garden and see all these beautiful roses. And what I've realized in life and, you know, going through these various things, the beauty can be there, but sometimes you have to really look for it Mm. to see it because it's not the beauty you were initially looking for. Mm. And you have to be willing to say, even though that's not the picture I wanted to see, I can still see beauty in it. Mm. And that is something I remind myself often. And when I pivot and take that perspective, then I do see beauty. I mean, I Mm. see the friend, my closest friends today are not the friends I had Mm pre-divorce and they're wonderful, amazing people. Mm -hmm. I live on a street I never would have lived on before. And as much as I loved my old house in that neighborhood, I have some friends on the street who are amazing people I never Mm -hmm. would have met. Mm I get to work with people and impact people's lives now in ways I never would have done before. I just mm-hmm. never would have done it mm-hmm. because I didn't have the experiences that I have now. Um, and yeah. so there are definitely things that have come out of this that I can look at and go, okay, God, I can see that beauty. I'm still waiting for some, some things that yes. yeah. I would like to see happen, but you know, trusting God in that process. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You do have to be intentional. You do have to really, strain your eyes to look sometimes and think outside of the box. But um, and I'm sure some days are easier than others. But um, the intentionality and the just um, trying to see what kind of beautiful things have come out of it. And that gets back to the gratitude piece, too, which is such a key thing in the fight for joy um, is really um, full of hope. It brings us it makes us full of hope when we see that that, okay, God is doing this, he has done this, he will continue to do this. And I can trust him for tomorrow. Um, but I saw on Facebook that you're going to be facilitating a divorce support group. And I absolutely love that you are doing this. I will continue to say that one of the best ways to fight for joy is to serve and help and minister to others, even in the pain and struggle. So I would love for you to just share a little bit about the passion God has given you to help others as a result of, you know, what you've had to walk through. Now you have a a passion and, um, and a real desire to guide and encourage others in this way. What is that looking like for you? Yeah. So there are an, a couple of things that for anybody who's going through either divorce or just other, you know, other things that have just caused life to not look the way you would expect that I say, look, these are like my five top things that I would say, yeah. these are the must haves in my life. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. It's, it's kind of on the list of top five, it's number five, but it is ways to give back. Mm. Um, I do that because I suffered way too long in places of pain. I suffered in ways I did not need to suffer. Mm. And that was even doing therapy and doing divorce care and being in church and doing Bible studies. People did not know how to help me the Mm. way I needed to be helped. Mm. And so now it is very much a passion of mine 
to help other people not stay stuck like I did. And every time I do it, I just ran one of these groups last night. Every time I do it, I hear stories that I am like, they make my story look like a walk in the park. Hmm. And I constantly am like, oh my goodness, there's, there's just so much pain in this world and just so yeah. much happening. And there's such a need for light in this darkness. And I, I so badly or so passionately want even if it's on a micro level to be able to help people just catch a glimpse of light in the middle of very dark places. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we, you know, I think of that too, like to think about what you needed during that time and then to, to find a way to be that for others, because you're right. We do when we walk through devastation and hurt um, and grief, we have eyes now that see the hurts of others um, quicker. And we just have the compassion and the empathy um, to pour out in a different way um, than somebody who hasn't walked through a similar journey. And I think I love that thinking of ways to give back and pouring into others who um, who are also broken and hurting. And I think sometimes, I mean, I know I needed this after Jackson died. We just, we just want to sit across the table from somebody who can say like, I got through this and you will too. You know, somebody who's just a few steps ahead, um, ahead of where we are who can bring that needed empathy and honesty and and compassion and therefore hope, you know, the hope that I survived this and you can too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. as we bring this episode to a close, I'm thinking of the listener who is smack dab in the middle of all of this right now, right? They are the one waking up uh, every morning just wondering how in the world am I going to make it through another day? Um, what are some things that you would like to leave my listeners with, or what kind of hope can you share? So I will go back to that top five list mm -hmm. that yeah. I have. Um, and I would say stay close to God is number one. And I know like when I was in the middle of the mess, it was very hard. Like it sounds easy, but it was hard to do because yes. yeah. it's really easy going through trauma to blame God and mm -hmm. to go, I would never let my own child go through something this traumatic. So God, if you loved me, you wouldn't let me go through it either. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to start thinking that way. And I trust mm -hmm. that even in this, yeah. you are going to create something good. And I will lean into you as hard as I can, because honestly, in my story, I had times when I, that was all I had. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was yeah. truly all I had. Yeah. Um, and just and as a, a side note on that too, like I, I had to really lean into both of those things too. Like you said, God is a good father and yet heartbroken things are going to happen in this world. But honestly, Kathy, like for me as um, losing my son, um, I did find great comfort in knowing that God did, he did let his son suffer and die, you know, and so yeah, that true, that yeah. was super helpful for me too, to be like, I do trust in God's goodness. And I don't understand how this is all happening. But I know he understands how I feel because his son died too. And so I, I think for you too, like, yes, trusting in the goodness of God, but for your particular situation to say, but I can also run to Christ knowing that he too knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows yeah. what it's like for his loved ones to walk away from him and leave him, you know? And so it is, there is comfort in just knowing the character of God. And there's also comfort in knowing that really there's nothing we can experience that, that Christ hasn't experienced as well. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so that's the first thing. The mm -hmm. second thing 
um, is it's so important to surround yourself with the right people. Mm -hmm. And I lost my friends going through the divorce. There were many reasons for that. So when I ended up on my own divorce, I didn't have a cadre of close friends Mm -hmm. surrounding me. And I prayed for that because I knew, like, I knew I'm an introvert. I don't need a whole lot of friends and I need one or two that I can count on. And God provided that in some incredible ways. Now, it also required me doing things to meet people. Like I, had, I, I went to some Bible studies and I did some things that enabled me to meet people who were mm-hmm. godly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I cannot tell you how many people I know who are now divorced because they, they listen to the wrong voices. Yeah. And I just continually say to people, you are only as good as the people you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. And so make sure the voices you're listening to are godly and wise and have, have a, have the right perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, my closest friends, they're real. So if I call them about something going on, they'll be the first to be like, I am so angry that this is going on. It's not godly. It's not holy. It's not right. Mm-hmm. But we know God is still in it and let's pray. Mm-hmm. And so they're not like, it's not just, oh, let me just pat you on the head and tell you it's all going to be beautiful and fine. I mean, they're like, we understand the emotion that you're feeling, but we're also going to not say that's the end of the story. Mm -hmm. We're going to still take it to God because we know he's a good God and we're going to trust that he's working even in this. That's so good. Yeah. So that's the second. The third, and this one for me is so important. And Jody, I know this is so important for you too. I am a very, like, I think in terms of life being very holistic. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I take care of myself spiritually, but I also have to take care of all the other, what I'm going to call the pieces of the pie. So I eat healthy. I exercise. I am financially responsible. I, you know, I look at every different piece of my pie of life and go, what do I need to do for those different areas to be healthy? When you are going through a divorce, life is overwhelming. And some of those things like the financial piece can be so upsetting and hard to look at. If that's the case, find a good financial planner. My Mm -hmm. financial planner, I met with her in the very, like towards the very end of the divorce. And I will never forget. I walked into the room, sat down at the table. I have never met this woman before in my life literally put my head on the table and started sobbing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This was our first meeting. (laughs) So that Uh was like 10 years ago. I just met with her like last month and she looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, 10 years ago when we met, do you remember that meeting? And I was like, of course I do. And she's like, I want to show you right now that you can retire and you are going to be okay. And 10 years ago, you thought like you didn't even have money to put gas in your car. Wow. Wow. What a beautiful story. It took me like, I I didn't just pray and go, okay, God work a miracle. Like I had to do things, but, but 10 years later, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that point so much. I love the whole idea of holistic, holistic health and just the, the forgotten aspects of, of our mind, body, spirit that, that can get lost in the shuffle of grief and, and loss and, you know, just struggle, we just um, can focus in on just what's next, what's in front of us, what do I need to accomplish today, um, to be able to survive and, you know, having this holistic view and focusing on all the different aspects of, of being healthy um, is it's key, it really, really is. It 
it is because when all of those other things start becoming unhealthy, it's so much more overwhelming and it's so easy to get caught in that downward spiral and just feel like there is no way out. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me and for me personally, like eating healthy Mm-hmm. is so like that is one of my biggest keys when i start eating unhealthy mm-hmm. I, like it it messes me up yeah. so yeah well and it's... eating healthy doesn't have to like take a hundred you know all kinds of money and time i don't no. have either so yeah no no but it is it's true i've had to remind myself of that many times like i'm gonna go through what i'm going through regardless do i want to feel like crap while i go through it or do i want to feel better (laughs) like physically while i'm going through it and mentally you know do i want to have the mental clarity do i want to feel good in my gut i mean i have to go through this anyway i might as well feel the best that i can feel to go through it so yeah i'm loving this list okay what's number four so four and five we've kind of touched on four is looking for reasons to be grateful mm-hmm. and i think like i'm a bit like i've said i'm very visual and i think that one of the best most recent examples of this and this is a long story i'll shorten it i had ordered a rug on wayfair and long story short <laughs> they ended up charging me twice mm-hmm. they charged me on my debit card and on my discover card lovely and lovely we, I, yeah. And I like, I saw it and I called them and they were like, oh, we've taken care of it. And I called them like three days in a row and they're like, it takes time for it to fall off, but it's going to fall off your Discover card. Well, like on the third day, my son ends up having a pretty serious health issue. And so we're like for six weeks, we're in and out of doctor's offices, hospital rooms, all kinds of stuff. I forget about the wrong situation naturally. And all of a sudden I realized because my credit card or my credit score starts lowering and I'm getting notifications that that never fell off my discover card. I didn't pay my discover card because I don't use it. So Mm. I didn't know it was still on there. So now I have a late fee. It's still on my discover card and my credit ratings being impacted. And so long story, long, long story, very short. It took me almost six months to get that resolved and it had to go all the way through an arbit a legal arbitration process to get resolved wow. and all the way through this i didn't know if i was gonna have to pay for this rug twice or what was gonna happen and of course this is more than like a ten dollar rug this was not an inexpensive rug and it was very stressful because again i'm still rebuilding financially it finally ends up being resolved in my favor on my son's 18th birthday wow and like the last month of the whole thing, I literally, because I had the I had the rug, I would go down to my basement and put my hand on that rug and I would go, God, I'm trusting that you are in this somehow. I don't even arbitration, they don't tell you what's going on, but I'm trusting that you're gonna work a miracle. This is gonna be decided in my favor. And this is my worship rug. This mm-hmm. is my worship rug. <laughs> wow. And like, when it was decided in my favor, that rug is now like the under, it's underneath my main furniture in my mm. living area. And so every time I walk on it again, because I'm visual, I see that and I'm mm. like, I'm reminded, yeah. this is my worship rug. I wow. need to be thanking Jesus for something right now. I don't care what it is. <laughs> like, that it is cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really cool story. I love that. Yeah. So again, looking for reasons to be grateful, you can take mirror uh, markers that you write on glass with, write yourself notes on your mirror, like write yourself love notes, write yourself mm-hmm. reasons to be grateful. So the first thing you see when you get up in the morning and the last thing you see when you go to bed at night is a reminder, there are still good things, even if you have to look for them. Yeah, there are so good things. Yeah. And I think with gratitude, we just have to remember we're not denying the hard. We are not 
you know, putting our head in the sand and just saying life is great. It's just finding things to be grateful for in the mess. And that little shift of mindset of just looking again, getting back to the intentionality of really looking and seeking for things that we can be grateful for because there are there are in any situation people are in there there are things that you can be grateful for so it's not in a you know either or kind of way it's definitely a both and yes and then the last thing we've talked about is just looking for ways to give back because there are so people need help i mean there's yeah. just all yeah. there are always people who need so there there are ways to do that when when you get to a place where you feel like you can and want to do that yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. What a powerful, helpful list, Kathy. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I mean, these are just key things that really do help the fight for joy. Again, they won't fix your problems. They're not going to reverse everything horrible that has happened, but it, they are just some, some key things to really remember and strive for and, um, and to do in the middle of the hard. Yeah. So, well, my listeners, you know, as is true with all of my guests, if if you're listening and you feel especially impacted and helped by what Kathy shared today and would like to get in touch with her, just reach out to me. And one of the ways that I suggest at the end of each episode, either through my email or on my social media pages, and I will get you connected. But um, Kathy, this has just been an incredible joy, not just to have you on the podcast today, but really just to reconnect with you after all of these years. And just super grateful for your willingness to put yourself out there and have this this conversation today. I, I have zero doubt that you are going to be a huge encouragement to my listeners, because I know that, you know, you've already been such an encouragement to my faith as I've just listened to you share about the powerful ways that God has carried you through some really dark days. And he continues to, to carry you and bring healing and, and hope. And, um, and I just love, um, hearing about your passion to want to help others and just to be that person sitting across the table saying, I've been in your shoes there is a way through, there is hope, there is joy to be found. So yeah, keep going, my friend. I'm just, I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. And I I see God at work in your story. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, it's such a pleasure to, to do this with you. And again, I feel everything you've said about me. I feel the same about you. And I just, I do want to encourage anybody, whether it's divorce or some other grief story, it does it does get better it does and it you know try to find someone as you said who can just sit with you or sit across from you and be a visual representation of i've walked through this too and you will get through this that's beautiful thank you kathy yeah absolutely thank you thank you so much for listening today if you were helped or encouraged by this episode please share it with others I would also love for you to find me on social media. You can connect with me and others who are listening on my Fighting for Joy podcast page on either Facebook or Instagram. You can also send me an email at fightingforjoypodcast at gmail.com. Podcasts have been such a lifeline for me in grief and one of the top ways that my soul is recharged and encouraged on a weekly basis. I truly hope that this podcast will do the same for you. Keep fighting for joy.